I want to continue that top topic today on something that is really very close to all of us, and it may be in your front doorstep right now. Trials, struggles, tribulations. One pastor I, I listened to said that everybody's in one of three places everywhere around the world at all times. You're either in the middle of a trial, or you've just come out of a trial, or you're facing your next trial. And that sounds so negative, I don't like to say that, but the reality is life is filled with trials. A lot of stuff happens, and sometimes you get so much thrown at you until you say, what, what is happening? How could all this be happening to me right now in this season? And then some well-meaning Christian comes along with cliche Christian advice, something like this. Well, you know, God never closes a door without opening a window. <laughs> Listen, you have my permission the next time they say that to go, what the crap does that mean? Because I don't know. I mean, I'm a pastor. I've been to Bible college. I still don't know what that means. He opens a window. Like, what, what does that mean? Or, or they say something like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. You know, it's a little cliche statements that what do they actually mean to us? Well, here's one that people say. This is the worst because it's very close to something God actually said, but it's not the same thing. They say, well, God will never give you more than you can bear. God will never give you more than you can bear. That sounds very spiritual. It sounds very scriptural, but it's not true. In fact, let me go ahead and tell you, God will absolutely give you more than you can bear sometimes, and he will allow you to be placed under things that he didn't give you but could have avoided for you. He will let that stuff happen sometimes. Now, that might be new to you, and you might be thinking, what, what is that? Why is that? I want to talk, that to, talk to you about that, but let me tell you where that false thought comes from. God will never give you more than you can bear. Let's start right there. It's in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. This is what the Bible actually says. God is faithful. And he will not let you be what? Tempted beyond what you can bear. See, it sounds like he won't give you more than you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Now, this, this is a beautiful scripture. It's inspired by God, and it says something wonderful. It doesn't say what people are saying it says. Here's what it says. Every time you're tempted, it's not going to overcome you. You have a choice to walk away from that temptation and honor God with how you respond. Every time somebody says something dumb to you and you really want to give them a piece of your mind, you can go, and not say it. It's hard, isn't it? But God has promised there's a way out. Every time you're tempted to do the wrong thing, every time a sexual temptation, every time a financial temptation comes your way, every time an anger temptation or any other kind of addiction comes your way, there's a promise to you that there is a way out. It may not be a gigantic uh, you know, garage door in front of you, but there's a way for you to get out. If you will pause, pray, listen to the voice of God, make a reasoned decision, you can honor God no matter where you find yourself. Now that's a beautiful scripture and someday I'll preach about that. What that scripture does not say is God won't give you more than you can bear. That's simply not there. In fact, the Bible is filled with people who had more than they can bear. Gideon in Judges, Gideon was chosen by God and Gideon says, you can't choose me. I'm the least in my family and my family is the smallest and weakest family in our clan. I'm the last guy you would choose. And God goes, yeah, and you're going to be my general. At a young age, he made him general over his army and sent him to battle with 300 men versus 20,000 men. Sounds like God gave him more than he could bear, right? He needed something supernatural to make that happen. Or think about Moses. Moses is a leader over millions of people. And Moses said, hey, 
One problem, I'm not really a leader. <laughs> I'm not a good speaker. I can't motivate people. I don't know how to do this. And God goes, yeah, but I chose you. And you're going to be my leader. And Moses would go on and say things like, these people are wearing me out. It's my favorite Bible verse, by the way. I still can't get a t-shirt with that on it. Somebody make one of those. These people. <laughs> no, really, but he goes on and he says, I can't take this anymore. You find a lot of that in the Bible. David, you know, we love David, the psalmist. David said this about a sinful season in his life. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. He goes on in verse 8, says, I'm feeble. It means exhausted in this translation. Utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. He's overwhelmed. Some of you can relate to that. It's just more than you can bear. If you read the rest of it, uh, in that same chapter, he says, I'm emotionally wounded. I have a sense of deep mourning. He talks about physical pain, including he had a backache. <laughs> when you read like verses 4 through 8, you're like, dude, this guy's getting hit everywhere. And then you go, wait a minute, that seems familiar. Because it doesn't ever just come one thing, right? It's like a medical story here, and then somebody's mad at you there, and then conflict at work over here, and a relationship issue, and you're really, like, you're literally waiting for the devil to come out with a red suit on, right? And, like, hold the kitchen sink in his hand and hit you with, like, because you're going to get hit with everything, including the kitchen sink. Well, that happens sometimes. And even it happened to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he was fully human, right? And the Bible says he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And here's what Jesus said, my soul. Everybody say soul. soul. That sounds like a real spiritual fruity word. We don't know what it means. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Everybody say mind, will, and emotions. Jesus said my soul is what? Jesus said my mind, my emotion, my heart. With sorrow to the point of death. Even Jesus Christ had so much on him that he said, my emotions, my thoughts, my heart is just overwhelmed. I feel like giving up. If Jesus was there, you're going to be there. You're going to have seasons like that. And I just want to start by telling you that if you're in one of those seasons right now, know this, God sees you. You're not anonymous. You've not been overlooked. I may not see it. The people that ought to see it who are closest to you, that ought to know and love you. They might be overlooking you. I promise you, God sees you. God knows it. God, God hears. Those prayers are not going unheard. God hears you, and He cares, and God's got you. I need you to hear that. God's got you. Say it with me. Say, God's got me. I need everybody to believe that. So why would God let more than you can bear happen to you? I'm going to give you two reasons today. The first one is so you'll depend on his presence. Here's what we do as people. When things are going great, we forget about God. We just do. It's when crisis happens that we're reminded of him. We drift away and we don't think about it, but then when something dangerous happens, it draws us back in. And sometimes the struggle that you're in that pushed you into his presence actually saves you from something much, much worse. Can you think about that for a minute? You feel like you're in an 8 out of 10 problem right now, and you really wish God would take that away. What you don't realize is that 8 out of 10 is what's drawn you into his presence, and God's just going to hold you here because there's a 20 out of 10 problem that he knows about, but you don't know about it. How many know that God knows what you don't know? 
He sees what you don't see, knows what's around the next bend. And so sometimes God lets the problem be more than you can handle, so it will drive you into his presence. A perfect example of this, I saw it. I'd been a pastor of my own church, this church, for all of 11 months when 9-11 happened. And our church attendance uh, had grown all the way up to 126 people. That was our biggest number. And I was so proud to have that many people. And then 9-11 happened, and the next Sunday, 160 people there were there. Our church, may not sound like a lot today, but our church grew by 30% in one week. Why? Obviously, my great preaching. <laughs> that was not it at all, right? I was preaching every week, and it wasn't doing that. It was crisis. Crisis drew the nation to God. You know what happened next? Back to 120 the next Sunday. I'm not lying. That's exactly what happened. And that's what happened nationwide. The attendance of the church had never been higher in recorded American history than the Sunday following 9-11, and it has never been that high again. And it has consistently waned. Thank God our church has grown since that time. But nationwide, because the crisis is gone, our focus on God is gone. Because crisis calls us to the cross. God wants you to stay at the cross. God wants you to stay near him, to stay as close to God as you can. And sometimes he will allow the things that you've prayed and asked him to take out of your life because he knows those are the things that will draw you close. God realizes there's something far worse that you don't know about. And sometimes he won't answer those, uh, you know, those 911 prayers. God, fix it right now and help me right now because he knows that's what's keeping you close to him. Remember, I talked about this last Sunday. God's aim for you is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's not to pre prepare you for a perfect life on this earth, but it's to prepare you for eternity. This life, the Bible calls it a vapor. Vapor. Vapor is, is uh, listen, I'm no scientist, but it's like, it's, it's like a cloud form of water. It's, it's, it's sort of like when God says life is a vapor, it's sort of like a foggy morning in, in, in the fall when it's just so thick, you've got your headlights on and you still can't see through it. And it feels like such a very real and present thing, this fog. And yet within an hour or two, it's completely gone. God says that's your life on this earth. Your whole life is a vapor, but eternity awaits you. Why would God put all of his focus and energy on thing that, uh, a thing in your life that is momentary instead of focusing on what your future is? So sometimes God's allowing these things to happen in your life because he wants to draw you into his presence and prepare you for your destiny. The story of Jonah is a good example of when we call on God. Jonah was told in the Old Testament, go to Nineveh and preach. The problem was Jonah was a racist and he hated everybody in Nineveh. And so he's like, I'm not going to preach to those people. I don't want to. I'm running away from God. And as he ran away, this is what always happens. When you rebel against God, you don't just take yourself down. You take other people down with you. That's a fact. He ran away from God. He gets on a ship and everybody on that boat is in danger of dying. Until he finally says, throw me overboard. They didn't just throw him overboard. He asked to be. And when he was thrown overboard, a great fish swallowed him. Remember that story? And that is when he called on God. Look at what he says here in Jonah 2 and 2. In my what? Help me out, church. In my distress, I finally called on the Lord and he did what he does. He answered. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. In my distress. There is nowhere in Scripture that says, in my success, I called on you. 
because we tend to not call on him in our success. You know, a little cursory prayer, a little uh, good morning Holy Spirit prayer because we're supposed to. But when things are going great, we tend to not uh, run into his presence like we ought to. But in my distress, we run to him. A lot of times people are asking, where is God? Why is God not here? Why, why, why has God not kept me close to him? All these things are going wrong in my life. Listen to me. Don't let the presence of a storm convince you of the absence of God. God's there. You may not see him. You may not feel him, but don't doubt his presence. He's there for a reason. And this little phrase right here really speaks to me so greatly in my distress. Let me tell you a little bit about me calling on God in my distress. I know, I, I wish it were true what people think. Actually, I don't know. The, the real me is somewhere in between what you guys think. Okay, because there are some people who think that I am just, I walk so close to God, super holy guy, everything, just a guy, man, that guy's amazing. And then there's some people who think I'm a fake, okay? I'm neither one of those people. The real me is somewhere in between those two. And I wish that I was that holy guy that some of you think and just everything's perfect and every morning I'm just walking with God and every day God tells me, you know, if I ought to have the sweet tea or the unsweet tea and everything I do is uh, from the voice of God. But I'm a little bit more like Jonah, and in my distress, I get more serious about calling on God. I can remember moments in my own life. Uh, I remember 20 years ago, before coming here, thinking I was supposed to go somewhere else, and praying and seeking God and, and reaching out to a church and expecting fully for that church to accept me and, and Leslie and for us to go to that other city, and we were rejected. I remember where I was. I remember how it felt to get that news. I remember the prayers I was praying. It, 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 it's been a long time, and it was just a, a few hours of time, but I can't forget it. I remember most of all God speaking to me in my distress. And he said, Jerry, I still have a place for you. I felt rejected, I felt embarrassed, but God said, I have not rejected you, and I still have a place for you. I'll never forget that. I don't want to go through that, 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 that rejection and that pain again, but I thank God for speaking to me in my distress. I remember after moving up here, and, and my wife was pregnant, and my daughter was dying in the womb. I remember it specifically. I remember crying and praying and I was rushing home. And you have to know this about me. I'm a doer. I, I don't let grass grow under my feet. I, I want to control things. I want to fix things. That's very, very good when things are out of control, but can be very bad if you've got a controlling person in your life. Let me just go ahead and confess that. That's me. I'm not looking at anybody. Some of you controlling people, just keep your eyes forward, nod your head up and down. Nobody but you and God and the people closest to you will know, okay? I, I'm that guy. I want to fix something. I want something to happen. And I remember being stopped at a red light on my way to get my wife. I, I wanted to comfort her. I wanted to pray with her. I wanted to take her to the doctor. Then I'm stuck at a red light. And there's nothing worse for a person who likes to control things than to get stuck and you can't do anything. And I'm going, God, what are you going to do? God, you got to do this. And I was in distress. And that's the minute, the moment I will never forget. I'll never forget where I was, what avenue I was on, what red light I was at, how it looked over the steering wheel of my vehicle when God said, Jerry, faith is a choice. 
You don't get to control what's happening biologically, medically. You don't get to control what doctors are able to do. You don't get to control what anybody else thinks. But the one thing you can still control about the situation, you get to choose to believe. And I said, okay, God, then I choose to believe that you're going to heal my baby. You're going to do a miracle in my wife's womb. And let me tell you something, guys. God did that for me right there in my, in my distress. He brought me close to him. Can we give God praise for doing what he does? It's a few years after that, just one more story. A few years after that, I had been a pastor here for about a decade. And, you know, I remember reading when I first started the ministry that only one out of every 10 pastors who feel called to full-time ministry will do it their whole life. Only one out of 10. I couldn't believe it. I thought, there's no way I will be one of those nine. I'll be the one, you know. But as, as ministry started happening and just junk, that just one after another after another, I began to see it. And man, I, was, I, was, I wouldn't tell you guys. <laughs> Some of you were here at the time. I'm up here preaching. I'm doing my thing. I wouldn't tell you guys because I have pride issues and I, I have control issues. Do you mind if I have a counseling session here between me and uh, just issues? Uh, and, and I wouldn't have said it, but I somehow carved out about four or five days to go on a personal prayer retreat. And I was distressed, and I, I was headed toward a just just running off the rails. I don't know where I would have been, but man, God met me in a little old white cottage up in the mountains, situated on the bend of a river. I will never forget how powerful that was. I remember where I was standing in the house. I remember like I was between the the, the, the uh, dining room and the living room, and I was facing the door. And I remember looking up, and the, I even remember the ceiling was kind of slanted and everything when God just poured out his spirit on me and he touched me. You know, nothing really changed about my circumstances, but I changed. I mean, it changed me forever. What am I trying to tell you? That these distressing situations that I've been in, I, I would love to say, you know, that, that God fixed everything, but what God actually did is he changed me. He drew me to him. He taught me things. He, he built my faith in ways that would sustain me for the rest of my life. So if you're there right now, listen, I'm not saying well, yeah, God's got you in a mess because you're so bad and you're so awful. That's the only way he can keep you close to him. No, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about a guy who was standing on this stage preaching to you when I was in distress just like you. But those moments allowed me to get close to God in a way that I had not been before. And I don't ever want to be there again, but I wouldn't trade what I've been through for what God has given me for anything in this world. And I hope you know he has a plan for you in your season. When you're in a season like that, he doesn't just want you to survive. He wants to promote you. He wants to give you more faith and do something in your life that will last generations. And you know, not just in your life, but will last generations beyond you. He put something in you to pass on to the next generation. So don't ever let the presence of the storm convince you that the, that the Lord is not in the, in the place with you. Don't ever let the presence of the storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. God is there, and sometimes God lets the storm happen so that you will be close to Him. Let me tell you a second reason why God would allow the storm in your life, and that is to experience His power. See, God is supernatural. That You're made in His image. 
That's your birthright. That's your lineage is the supernatural presence and power of God. Now, here's what happens. If you're like me, and I think most people are kind of this way, when things start to go wrong, you start to try to fix it, right? You want to control the situation, and so you start, you work harder. You, 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 you get a, gr- a better grip on it. Maybe you learn, and, and you try to get better. But when full-scale chaos happens, that's when we go, oh, God, I need you, right? And, and so some of us, we, we struggle through the chaos of our lives, kind of like I do at the, at the ballpark. I'm, I'm a dad. I've got kids. They have all played sports. And I have been on many a ballpark carrying chairs and coolers and stuff. And I don't know about you men, but like for me, the test of my manhood is that I carry it all. You know, when I'm walking past, I got my chair, my wife's chair, the cooler, the umbrella, the snack bag. I got everything. I walk past one of you guys, your wife's carrying her own chair. I'm like, pansy, you know, (laughs) I got it all. I mean, down to my last pinky just to hang in there. I got like a quarter of a mile to go, and I'm like, I got this. Let's go. You know, I I can't be more excited if I was Braveheart fighting, you know, the enemy. I'm just going. And I get all the way to the edge, and and I've walked, you know, all the way back to the backfield, and I drop it all. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Nobody noticed. (laughs) Nobody cares, right? Some of us, though, that's how you handle your burdens, like you just take everything. Instead of saying, God, what, what, you know, help me, God. Lord, speak to me. God, teach me. God, do what you do. We just grab it. And, and you know, that's the way I, I, my natural bend is somebody screws something up, give me another thing. I'll carry that. Somebody says something wrong, I'll just carry that burden. Somebody lies about me, I ain't worried about that. Throw it on. Let me go. Let me show you what I can do. And that is the opposite of who God made you to be. You are, God wants us to be like, remember God's design is not to make me happy. God's design is to make me holy. The Bible says that Jesus was lowly in spirit. He was humble. I'm not trying to control things. I'm trying to let God take control. The perfect example of this is from the guy who wrote 13, over half of the books of the New Testament, the apostle Paul. He he wrote about his problem. He called it his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. I think it was physical. Some people think it was relational. It could be spiritual. But he prayed three, the Bible says, three times. He says, I begged God. I pleaded with God to take it away. He prayed. He fasted. He, he planted many churches. He asked the churches to pray with him. And it never, it never went away. He was right where some of you have been. Like, God, what have I got to do? How many more prayers do I have to pray? What else has got to happen for you? It seems like if God would have done that for anybody, he would have done it for Paul. But he didn't. And so finally God responded, and this is where I want you to leave thinking about today. God answered Paul and he said, my grace is sufficient or it's enough for you. Because my power is made perfect in what, church? Weakness. Paul was like, I'm tired of this weakness. I want this weakness to go away. And God says, no, but that's where my power is made perfect or complete. That's a Greek word that means to be, to be brought to completion. All of the things my supernatural power wants to do in your life is only perfected when you are weak. And Paul, dude, Paul is, is, is bought in. He's like, okay, if that's the case, then I'm going to boast the more gladly about my weakness. 
He's like, okay, if you're going to bless me when I'm weak, I'm weak all the time. So that Christ's power could rest on me. And that is why for Christ's sake, I what? Say this word, church. Wait till I slide this next screen and show you what he delights in. He's like, okay, if, if, if you're going to be powerful when I'm weak, I'm going to delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, difficulties. This is not a Facebook grant from Paul, by the way, where you like, got two things going wrong in your life and you give us 75. Like, this is real bad stuff. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten so often, one time beaten and left for dead. He was that bad. He got snake bit. He was thrown in prison. And he said, you know what I'm going to do when all that happens? I'm going to be, I'm going to delight in all that. <laughs> Paul's a guy like, okay, if the word says it, that's what I'll do. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Somebody say it with me. Say this whole bottom line with me. When I am weak, then I am strong. Somebody needs to get this. Do you feel weak right now? You feel like things are out of your control? When you are weak, the strength of God is perfected in you. And when you're weak, that's when you are strong in Christ. You're in the right place for God to do something amazing in your life. When you're exhausted, when you're confused, when you're ready to give up, that's when you're strong. I don't know who's hurting today, but I know God drew me to this topic for you. I know that He wants to let you know that where you're at is not necessarily a a product of you being awful or terrible at something. Listen, if you're going to raise children, you're going to reach the end of your lingo. You're going to reach the, the end of your ability at some point. If, if you're going to be a foster parent, if you're going to, maybe you're, you're, you're a 20-year-old, you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, and you've, every, every family member, every aunt, uncle, cousin, mom, dad has asked you so many times you're ready to quit and give up. At some point, you just got to say, when I'm weak, that's when God can be strong. Somebody's got to stop rowing and start sailing. You hear me? Quit rowing. Quit trying to control it and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give this thing to you, and I'm going to believe that you've got me. He says, my solution is this. My grace is sufficient for you. His grace is enough.